We have heard the mantra many times, what got you here might not get you there. Well, for many current and aspiring leaders, their operational and technical skills have led to their success so far. But in order to take that next step, those same professionals might need the so-called softer, more nuanced skills, better communication, more empathy, a higher level of influence. Today, we'll talk with a former advertising executive and current executive coach about keys for leadership success. It's Ann Sugar on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations. Those are the ones that generate by far the most and most effective word of mouth. That means more growth in your sales revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, productivity, and your brand and reputation. I do that through consulting projects, professional speaking, and advisory work. On this program, we discuss three foundational components for managing your message. First, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into an everyday business advantage. Simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. My new book is now available through Career Press. It's titled The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Books, wherever fine business books are sold. You can also find the audio version on Audible, Apple Books, etc., for the particularly skeptical and discerning, if you'd like to try before you buy, I have a sampler, the introduction and chapter one on my website, jimcard.com books. Today's guest has a lot she can share about the intersection of messaging and leadership. I met Ann Sugar a couple of years ago in a mastermind group and have been working to get her on the Manager Message podcast since we started this thing. Anne is an executive coach and speaker who has advised top leaders at companies, including TripAdvisor, Sanofi Genzyme, and Havas. She's an executive coach for Harvard Business School Executive Education and has guest lectured at MIT. She's also a frequent contributor for Inc. Magazine and Harvard Business Review. Anne has been an executive coach for more than a decade. Before that, she was a senior leader herself in the world of advertising and media planning. So she had a top role in taking a message and knowing how to distribute it most effectively and efficiently through a large team. Whether you are an organizational leader already or are on that track, you probably recognize that your communication and message leadership skills are critical these days. And Sugar is here to offer some insights in this increasingly noisy, demanding, and diverse business environment. And Sugar, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. Oh, Jim, it's great to be here talking to you today. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking to you. And thanks for the great intro. I got to remember all that for future ones. You can refer to the audio clips as you wish. <laughs> so, you've been coaching quite a number of top executives. And as has been described to me, as you've talked about, it's often on those 
so-called soft skills, we know they're really important, mm -hmm. the nuances of how to lead others, keep that right vision and priorities front and center. Right. And I'm curious, just as to start out here, for those executives you work with, I mean, what do you typically find is their starting point, their confidence in, say, the soft skills versus the more technical or operational skills that they've developed? Well, I think it's interesting, right? When I take a step back and I look at that, we all have these technical skills that we have garnered over the years. And sometimes that can become a blind spot, right? That's kind of where the issue starts to kind of bubble up. Or for some people, they might say, well, I've read 25 of these management books and I know what I'm doing now. And I think, for example, you and I, Jim, have done this from a marketing perspective. It takes a team. Yes. An executive coach is somebody that can put a mirror up so that you can see all the things you're doing very clearly. So when we start to look at some of the softer skills, to get back to your question for a bit, it's really about just learning and trying. That's the starting block that I work with people on. And if you're not willing to learn and you think you've learned it all, then executive coaching is not for you. Sure. And, you know, you're going to hit a glass ceiling anyways, because I'm sorry, but I think we all are learning always, or we should be. Sure. And it begs a question that I'm curious about. Are you typically being engaged because an executive who wants to advance even farther reaches out to you personally, or is it more common, say, that a, the board of directors of the corporation, the enterprise itself, will say, executive here needs to hone some skills in a particular area, and we'd like you to help them elevate what they're doing? So it's either the CEO, the board, somebody's manager says, there's these nuances that I'd like you to work on with this person. So I think a lot of this boils down to the bottom line of we all have these little details that actually matter a lot. So for example, just this is a real small detail, but I was working with this client and his team was unmotivated because they felt like that he wasn't listening to them. And part of it too is right, we're all super busy. So it was kind of, yep, yep, yep. He was almost directing. But when we, he added one small point to how he managed his team, he would ask his team, so what do you think? And that just opened up a lot of possibilities. And it made his team feel so much more motivated because they felt like they were being heard. And it's kind of silly, right? I mean, it's one small question that could give you that kind of big impact. But that's kind of what I'm talking about. And when I talk about the small little things that help kind of the more global piece about his brand. Sure. We see that oftentimes, especially charismatic leaders and people who have the big vision. And I think sometimes they can think that they are being open or they think that what people need from me is just for me to state the vision over and over. Yep. As you say, some small points in there can make them much more influential. I'm going to test an assertion with you, and, and you are free to disagree with the host. <laughs> we might edit that part out later. But in my book and in my talks, it's my strong belief, if you have any sort of leadership title, 
then you are by default the message leader or a message leader as well. Mm-hmm. Other people in the organization and other people in the communities you serve are looking to you as a model of behavior and as a guide to know what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And as I say, tag, you're it. Do you have a similar view in that you've got to embrace that role of being a message leader? I completely agree with you. And I think, Jim, one word to kind of tease out for a second is role model, okay? That you as a leader are a role model and people are looking at how you behave, how you act, the subtleties of everything. And one thing that I say in executive training when I'm talking about leadership is almost kind of think about it like you're a movie star, okay, for a second. And the paparazzi are taking a picture of everything you do and cataloging it. That's what your team are doing. They're modeling their behavior, right or wrong, after you. And it's not that you're always on stage, but just you have to remember that, that people are watching. I think that part is. And There are some leaders that I've come across that would say, you know, maybe I am kind of like a movie star, but I really don't feel like one. You know, it's not really my strong suit. I kind of know the way that I do it. Yep. But I will say that if you're an organizational leader, a message leader, at least setting the priorities, even if you're not perfect in how you do things, because none of us are going to be perfect in the execution of it all the time. Let me share a story here. And it's one I recount briefly in the book. I won't use the name of the person here, but this was a real CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And I had the pleasure of working, doing a messaging playbook and some training in that company. And when it first started out, this CEO, and he was unusual, Ann, in that This person actually had a doctorate in communications, which is unusual for a Fortune 500 CEO. So this person appreciates communication and knows a lot about it. And he had this reputation inside the company of being, no one knows better than, than our leader here, the elevator pitch of how to talk about us. And I remember early on going to one of the senior vice presidents and I asked her, I mean, how much of the CEO's message did she use herself? And she told me, Oh, I don't use that. I mean, that's his pitch. He talks to different people than I do. I could never do it the way he does. And so part of our challenge there was to say, look, you don't have to be a clone of anyone else. Mm -hmm. But to be able to say, if there are leaders who are frustrated because others don't seem to be able to articulate the vision or share it well themselves, then it's both a modeling, but also some bit of coaching and enabling that. Yeah. So a long way of saying, I think if you want to develop more messengers and more support, more resonance within your management team, it is both modeling the behavior and also saying, hey, this is important and let's figure out how to do this together each in their own way. I completely agree with you on that front that what are the three or whatever it is, the three points that you always want to be hitting home? And one thing I learned years ago in advertising, they teach you, and this isn't that it's you're being inauthentic. This is about meeting somebody where they are. We learned that in new business pitches, there are different ways to communicate to different audiences. So for example, if I was working with somebody that 
was very process or linear driven from a coaching perspective here, I wouldn't just jump in and say, hey, let's start brainstorming. That throws that person all off. I would sit down first with, here's the process that we're going to go through, and here are the milestones that we're going to work on for you. So let's think about these goals, right? Now, somebody else might like to just kind of jump into the mess, and then I'd start just brainstorming with them right away. So you can take that and translate that in terms of how you deliver your message. It's just knowing your audience, really, and meeting them where they are. And where they are these days tends to vary a lot, right? So with people working in disparate locations, disparate schedules, it's the mix of physical and virtual and all of that. Yeah. And that's an area I'd be interested in to hear your experience in working with executives as well. So some of them might think, hey, well, I am communicating. You know, I repeat that vision or I repeat our differentiators or our three points all the time. Right. But- Perhaps they're relying on just one mode of communication. That's true. So what do you see in terms of what you find to be most effective in varying the way that you carve up the message, how it's presented, and using different modes? Interestingly enough, I was working with a CEO of an advertising agency, and she said to me, I've communicated the vision. I can't stop communicating. I've said it time and time again, and people still don't know it. And unfortunately, I said to her, then you haven't communicated it enough. And you haven't communicated it in a way that might resonate with different audiences that you have. So it's just like an advertising campaign. You know, the three plus frequency that's always talked about, you know, when you see ads on TV, you have to have frequency. And you also have to have, which I completely agree with you, different modes of communication. And what is going to resonate with your teams? Like, for example, if I'm an email type of corporation where lots of things are put into email, but I'm a verbal leader, well, guess what? You're going to need to put those messages in writing, right? Or is it something that you put up on Slack? When you're talking to people in your teams, you're always reiterating it. Do you have town halls? Do you have a place where people can ask you a lot of questions? It's kind of a test and learn approach to it too, frankly. I would suspect, Anne, that going back to your days of leading a team that did media planning. Yes. And for those of the the less initiated into marketing speak, So media planning is when you take that message in behalf of your company or a client, you're figuring what is the most efficient way of placing that message. So it's going to be probably a portfolio. Are you going to be on TV and sponsorships and online and offline and print? And so to your point there, if you're just in one mode all the time, then the danger is that your important message, that priority just becomes part of the noise. People tune it out. Is that what you're driving at? That's what I'm driving at. And here's the other thing that I think is just as important is it's the variety and the vehicle of the message. But two, I think as a leader, you have to observe. You can tell if something is resonating with your teams. So actually, is it the right message? So we could even kind of take a more strategic thought to it. Is it really the right message that the organization needs to hear. And now 
Jim, this is going to sound crazy, but again, I'm really into the small details because I think they give the biggest impact. And this has happened. I had a client say to me, my team isn't hearing my message. It's not resonating. And when we really dissected, when he sat down with his team, guess what? None of them were writing anything down. They didn't have paper and pen coming into a meeting. I'm very old school. I'm still into the paper and pen. (laughs) So now everybody had to come in with paper and pencil and write down everything. I mean, it's kind of like sometimes it's those little simple things that we forget. He was like, aha, yes, they're not writing anything down. And it's not just old school, Ann. <laughs> we didn't plan to bring this up, but it's just a side note that I do think is interesting here. Is when I looked at research for my book, and we're recording this in the early fall when a lot of kids and young adults are going back to school. Yeah. And it was interesting. So people who have studied learning, young adult and adult learning, if they go in and they're trying to process a lot of information. So say you're in a lecture mm-hmm. and some students will be bringing in their laptops or mobile device and they're tapping notes as they go. And then others have paper right? and they're actually writing it down. And what they found is, and this won't stun you, but it does tend to underlie what you were just talking about is those students, those learners who were writing things down, they wrote down less but they retained more and it forced them in the moment to hear what was going on, but also to put it into their own words. They're synthesizing as they go. They're getting it into their own language. They're not quite like a court reporter, just tapping out every utterance that's coming from the front of the room. And so there is a lot of value in what you say. And I think making the larger point of an executive or leader can get frustrated because, Hey, they're not hearing me. Well, you got to meet them a little bit of where they are. And so when people feel the ability to not only use different modes of how they absorb it, but also to be able to say it back in some way and using their own language, their own visuals, you know, sometimes it, it may be on a whiteboard. Sometimes it may be verbally, whatever. Those will tend to sink in more and people will internalize it and they'll believe it themselves to a greater degree. Thus endeth the side rant here in terms of mixing modes. This is just a really interesting antidote. I don't have quantitative data, but I've seen this now with a couple of CEOs that in their SLT or senior leadership team meetings, they are not allowing any electronics, no phone, no computer. You just come in with your paper pen. And you know if you need to do a presentation, obviously you need your computer, but And one CEO that I worked with, if you brought in your phone and it rang, he kicked you out. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds kind of collegey, old school, but I almost feel like there might be an interesting little trend there. I have heard that. I'm curious, was there a particular reason why that prompted that move? This one gentleman felt that people were a little disengaged. Mm Mm-hmm. And to your point, students learn better when they're reading the hard copy textbook or you're reading a book. So he was jumping on that. I forget the exact study, but yes, he was jumping on that piece of data. We are all to some degree these days, some more than others, but afflicted or subject to, it's a syndrome called continuous partial attention 
I've heard that come from a number of researchers, that you're just trying to do too many things at one time and not really clued into what's happening at the moment. Some executives, and I've heard doing a similar thing that you just described is saying, look, put your phone in the basket there by the door when you come in, (laughs) unless it's a medical emergency or something along those lines. Of course, but part of it is been a kind of a visceral reaction, almost generational. It's like, well, look, people seem to be looking in their laps. They're not looking at me, then I have no way of knowing whether they're paying attention. But there is also a real benefit to writing things down, to having a more quiet environment, one where you can focus. You can focus on the reactions that you're getting. People feel more prone to offering an observation, asking a question, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's some real benefit to at least considering that. Right for your most important meetings and most important conversations. So Jim, to circle all the way back around to kind of tie this all up, when we were talking about the message, the mode, how you deliver it, this brings up a story that I have. This one CMO that I was working with, his team felt disengaged from him and they felt like he wasn't listening to them. He didn't hear what they were saying, et cetera, et cetera. And what it boiled down to was when you sat in his office with him, he always had his phone in front of him and he'd be talking to you and tapping on emails at the same time. If you think about that from a messaging perspective, a details perspective, it was showing his team he didn't care and he did care, but it was a bad role model sort of small detail tactic, all those things wrapped up into one kind of, we're creating a bow here on top of it, is that unfortunately he was losing his team because of that. He was looking disengaged, not caring. As you say, modeling the behavior that we would want from other people. Even if it's imperfect, you're saying, look, I'm making this attempt. This is a priority. We want to make sure that everyone here on the team feels heard and has every opportunity to step into the conversation and offer what they can. So that's a really good story and a really good reminder for all of us who are subject. You know, I'm not immune. We all are not immune. Yes, exactly. And here's the other side of it, right? Because I love the contrarian side. His team also didn't really realize either how much stress he was under either that the chairman was always texting him for things and it was never kind of good enough either right so two you have to put yourself in other people's shoes as well yes but phones are not always (laughs) the best in a meeting they are valuable and they are dangerous oh yes indeed a lot of what you deal with it sounds like are executives and leadership teams trying to make sure that their important priorities and their important change initiatives are working on the inside. Yes. Because there are just major changes going on. We can think of a list as long as your arm, but we're in new markets. We have new products or solutions. We have new regulations. We have new competitors. Something is different in what we're doing, and whether it be from a go-to-market standpoint or other things happening in the organization. You wrote an article recently for Inc. Magazine about creating a what you called a stakeholder communication scenario. Yeah. So basically taking a deep breath and when there is change to lead, 
that you needed to think it through because the communication piece, the influence piece is going to have a lot to do with your ultimate success. Could you talk a little bit about that stakeholder communication scenario, why that's important and how you would advise a listener to go about the business of creating one? So here's the interesting thing lately that I've been working on with a lot of executives is that we are all very focused on external networking. You know, I'm always needing to be, you know, meeting new and interesting people, learning new, interesting things, but we forget about the internal piece of networking. And when I talk about stakeholders, it's really thinking about who are the key people. So let's say I have an initiative. They're taking the time to sit down and map out who are the people that I need to get on board with me, or who are the people that can provide me with interesting input. So it's taking the time and almost kind of creating a map of who I need to speak to, or who do I need to interview to get more data for X. And just as you as a leader create time to have that coffee with somebody that you used to work with. I think from a contrarian perspective, it's just as important or maybe even more so, depending on the initiatives that you're working on, that you need to have the internal networking piece. And that's creating a stakeholder plan. As part of that, and switching gears slightly, but it's related and it's an area that has gathered a little more attention lately is the idea about empathy. Are there some ways that you see leaders these days can demonstrate a little vulnerability, show a little bit more empathy and understanding, but not make things about them? That seems like the the difficult balance. Oh, that is such a debated topic. I'm going to answer the question, and this is the most hated way, It depends. And it depends upon you as a leader. For some people, it's important to lay out, here's how I'm feeling. And it's authentic to who they are. But what's not authentic is if that's not you, then don't do it. Don't be that way. You have to be authentic to you as a leader. Obviously, at a certain point, that's going to hinder you and you do need to ask people how they're doing and you do need to have empathy and realize that there are a lot of other things that are happening. But I think it's really important to be an authentic leader for yourself. And I think if you want to work on being authentic as a leader, you know that that's something that you need to do more One small tactic that I would stress to people to practice is pretend when you're in a meeting that you turn down the sound. You can't hear what anybody is saying. And the only way you can understand what's going on in the meeting is watching people's nonverbal cues and watch how people sit, how they act without any sound. And that's going to get you to start thinking more from an empathetic perspective because body language never lies. That's the truth. And so it helps you to just get into the practice. Part of what I say to leaders and when I sit down, if you know a chairman is charging me to help 
this director or that director, I like to say to them, these things take time. So if you want to practice empathy or you want to practice being a bit more empathetic, it just takes time and you have to test and learn and you have to be able to be okay with making a mistake. Because sometimes, you know, if you're working on motivating your team and you have kind of that misstep, you just have to forget about it and keep going. Because having the misstep means you're trying. Mm -hmm. You're trying and practicing. So that kind of gets to the long answer to it. But it's really about being first and foremost authentic to who you are as a leader And then we all need to make these kind of changes. So how can you take the small steps, try something new, and practice, then be okay that you're going to make some mistakes along the way? It's just kind of simple, linear process. Sure. But difficult for a lot of people to do. Very. And and I'll ask you about this idea of your own vulnerability as a leader from a Perspective personal to you, I bring it up because this is something you have spoken about publicly. Yes. And I think it would be a, an interesting way is your thought process and the reactions that you got at the time. So a number of years ago, you had a profound challenge. You were fighting breast cancer. Yes. And you were an executive coach at the time. And I, I thought it was revealing the ways that when you were thinking, how do I communicate this to my clients. Mm-hmm. And how did I do that? Did you do it differently for different people? What kinds of reactions did you get when you had that sort of very profound challenge? And, and you could have just plowed ahead and not told anybody much of anything, but I think you took a much more honest approach to it. What was that like for you? When I think about things from an executive coach perspective, when I go back and I think about that, a lot of when I'm coaching, it has nothing to do with me, right? So it was hard to talk about it because it wasn't something that I would typically bring up. But obviously, I was out of work for 12 weeks, which was much to my surprise. And I wrote all about this in Harvard Business Review because we didn't really have a roadmap or a way to talk about it. And I kind of stumbled and fumbled along. So I thought, hmm, I want to talk about what that roadmap could look like when you're in it from a business perspective. And we all have different ways that we want to communicate something. So for me, I lined it up like a communication stream. I sent an email out, personal email out to specific clients telling them, And then I followed up with them in person because for me, that was the most comfortable way of doing it. Now, like I said, in my article, there are some people that never want to talk about it. Don't want it brought up. You have to meet people where they are and how they want to deal with things. Everybody has a very specific way to deal with stress or something, a health issue, really. Obviously, you've written about that, and you, more to the current day, have talked about how that can carry through for leaders, how to deal with your staff colleagues, how to deal with employees who have a health challenge or have some other life challenge that's facing them, and how to try to balance the impact on everyone within the organization, but also on a human element with that other person. I know there are probably no 
strict rules or no grand one size fits all takeaways, but how has that informed and then your executive coaching work since that time as well? So here are two things I think. First, this is a little bit more universal, but again, all of those things wrapped up in, you know, you have a sick child, you get sick, you have a sick parent, whatever any of this is, is that I learned the hard way that you need to have a plan B. I thought plan B and plan B for your team in terms of a process, how are things going to be delegated? How can the work get done until this person comes back from their leave or whatever? Because I didn't really have a plan B because I thought, ah, eight weeks, it'll be fine. Bing, bang, boom, done. And I didn't heal as fast as I thought I was going to. And it was maybe 12 weeks and I didn't have a plan B. So I needed to go back and talk to people some more, right? So that's kind of a little bit more from a universal perspective. I think too, and I also talk about this as well, is that I'm a very empathetic person but it made me much more empathetic. So let me just give you a quick example. When you have cancer, it's you, your cancer cells, right? And it's you alone. While you have so many people supporting you, there's that kind of, you're living within yourself a bit as well. And while I'm not a therapist or a psychologist, I was working with a director who was going through a divorce and he was feeling very alone in that piece of it. And I could meet him where he was at, at that feeling alone. I've felt that feeling alone. So it just kind of helps inform. I think too, there's a lot of research and it was in a book by Sean Anker on positive psychology that when we have these really difficult situations, you can actually use this to grow and even be a better X or a better whatever that is. There are very big, actually, opportunities. You may not think so at the time, but there are. And looking at the whole relationships of executive coaches and to those executives they serve, there's a lot more emphasis, I think I see these days, on coaching. People are much more open to it and oftentimes looking for it. I look at the success of peer advisory groups. Yes that help executives get past this idea and this reality sometimes that there's no one that they can talk to about it. There may not be anybody in their family that really understands their professional pressures and roles. They certainly can't talk about this fully inside the organization. Are you seeing particular patterns today in the kinds of things that you are able to help executives with, be it an overall sense of confidence, someone that they can just reflect ideas off of or specific skills that they're able to develop. If you were to characterize the ways that you're most able to help your coaching clients, it's probably a mix of both the specific and the less specific, but I'm curious as to your experience with those leaders that you're working with. When I was managing large departments in advertising, I have to be honest, I wish I had a coach, somebody to use as a sounding board to help me manage through, let's say, a senior leadership meeting or something like that. And at that time, 
executive coaching was looked at as a punitive thing. Like you are a mess. <laughs> you get sent to detention hall. Yes, this is a detention. So now I've been coaching for about 15 years and I really see a marked change in difference that coaching now is looked at as the company is investing in you and you have high growth potential. So people, many people that I work with now, very different from when I was first coaching, there's an added level of excitement that, ah, I get to learn. Because part of my coaching practice too, it's not just coaching, it's also about learning. And so, yes, it's now seen as an opportunity and people are requesting it a lot more as part of... I'm moving into the next level. Can I have somebody to help me learn? That's really what it boils down to. So helping learn, I think you brought up a lot of them. If I'm to look at categories about being empathetic, I think to a lot of it is not so much presentation skills, but how do I influence and impact a room with my ideas and how can I be heard it's also about, you know, I'm moving to the next level and I have these specific skill sets that need to happen for me to get there. So I'll coach on influence. How do I manage conflict? How do I flex my style to different constituents? So it sounds like something that people and organizations aren't running from quite so much as running toward say these are the kinds of things that will help someone who's already been effective to be more effective or say there's this one area that they could really, they can help burnish that part. Maybe it's even demonstrating the empathy and understanding that deep down they already have. They just don't realize that it's not being projected out into the world. Really kind of a mix of things now that interestingly enough, people are almost looking forward to, man. They are. And well, a 360, which is getting data about your skills from an anonymous perspective can be scary and kind of this bitter pill. People want that data to help them grow, emphasizing that, you know, to everything that you just said. And I know I'm kind of like beating on this, but it is about the small details and those small changes will give you the greatest impact. Wow. And Sugar, we have touched on the message, how to develop your messengers, and we've spent a lot of time on management priorities and habits. So this has been a full plate today. This is great. How can our listeners best connect with you and your ideas and your writing and what you're learning? So people can connect with me on LinkedIn at Ann Sugar, just like Ann Sugar, S-U-G-A-R. They can also connect with me on my website, if you sign up for my email list, you get a sheet of the five top articles that I recommend senior leaders read. So there's that as well. Terrific. And Sugar, it's been a really interesting conversation, and I hope we can have you back sometime before too long. Thanks for coming on to the Manager Message Podcast. Oh, I really appreciate always talking to you, Jim. It's fantastic. Thank you for joining the Manager Message Podcast, whether you have been Tuning in to our 50-something episodes already, or maybe it's 
your very first time in. We're building momentum and impact, and that is thanks to you. Those of you who have been recommending us to friends and colleagues, leaving those five-star ratings, if you haven't yet done so, please take just a moment, tap subscribe to make sure you get every episode as it is released, and offer your five-star rating and review That helps get the robots in line to let other professionals know about this podcast so they can benefit as well. If you would like to get a weekly free tip, something that you can apply right away in your professional role, I have the message manager memo. It is something that can come to your email inbox each week. It's a brief read, something you can put to work right away. You can sign up at my website, jimcarr.com, K-A-R-R-H. And I'm was putting together this episode at the point of, I was actually working on tailoring a keynote presentation for some meeting of a professional association. That's something I do on a regular basis. I talk to professional associations, to corporations, wherever there are people looking for ways to improve their professional conversations, to grow the business and set up great processes and habits for being a message leader. On my website, you'll see a speaking page that has some resources and descriptions there, as well as a related page just for event professionals, people who are trying to find ideas and resources to make their in-person events as memorable and valuable as they can be. If you are part of a an association or a company or know of others who might benefit from having me be part of the program, then you can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com. We can set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My direct number is also on the website. Thank you for all the messages. Thank you for the connections. And until next time, message managers, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.